From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While it's technically the off-season for Gator Athletics, many fans will contend there's no off-season for football. In recognition of that, today we are excited to welcome Dan Mullen to the only official podcast of the Gators for the first time. The 27th head coach of the Orange and Blue arrived in November of 2017 and immediately got to work, taking the Gators from a dismal 4-7 season to a 10-3 campaign in his first year. While we certainly wanted to learn more about the state of the team and what he sees for the 2019 season, we also aim to discover much more about the man behind the headset, especially his path to coaching and the lessons he's picked up along the way. So to begin our conversation, we asked him to take us back to the very beginning of his story. So I was born in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. And uh, when I, we moved up to uh, New Hampshire when I was four and uh, lived in Londonderry and then Manchester, New Hampshire. And uh, my dad worked in the color separation uh, business and it really, you know, putting all the color in magazines and all the other car, like trading baseball cards, all that stuff. It's all now done digitally. That, that industry doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. And my mom, my mom uh, teaches classical ballet, still does to this day. She teaches probably 70 to 80 hours of ballet classes a week in her mid 70s. And wow. She's um, yeah, my mom's a British citizen. Uh, she's from a, a town called Thai in North Wales. And, um, you know, my parents met in Spain when my mom was touring the world with a dance company and my dad was in the Air Force. And uh, so they, they got married and ended up moving here to the U.S. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, my dad, my dad recently passed away this spring. Sorry but, uh, but my mom's still out, out there working, teaching classical ballet and, and grinding away. Wow. Any siblings or just you? Yeah, I have um, my brother, Patch, lives in Pittsburgh, and my sister lives in New York City. So I'm, I'm the oldest. They're both younger, and my, uh, uh, my brother's married with, uh, with two kids. And uh, really funny, has a, a son and a daughter, and they're the same age as my kids, actually. Huh. Uh, their son was born a month after my son, and then their daughter was born a day after my daughter. So <laughs> when we get together, everybody's the same age, and he actually... He lives in Pittsburgh and he met a girl, uh, my wife, Megan's from Pittsburgh, and he met a girl at our wedding and ended up getting married to a girl he met at our wedding and then moved out to Pittsburgh where she is. And wow. we got married in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, so I, we're, we're kind of all over the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't we don't really have a central unit of where the family's located. Right? You know, right. we're, uh, we're, we're kind of spread out all over the U.S. and all over the world by extended family. Being the oldest and then obviously having that British influence, I imagine another kind of football may have been a big part of your household growing up. So how did American football get into the mix for you? <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. I played soccer growing up uh, mm. when I was younger, uh, but it was never huge. You know, my mom was more into the yards. My dad, you know, was was like a sports fan, but never really played, never even played high school football. Hmm. Uh, or anything was not a big high school athlete and uh but i played everything growing up i i love football from an early age i just kind of always i don't know i was always just drawn to football and loved everything about it the first multiplication table i learned was sevens you know from touchdowns 
I, I just always loved football from an early age, but I did everything. You know, I played the, the football, basketball, some baseball, soccer. I did ballet, tap and jazz, took wow. piano lessons. I was really fortunate. I think I'm really fortunate. My mom exposed me to a lot. You know, sure. she worked hard to expose me to a lot, even around her busy work schedule to just see what I liked. And I think that was, uh, you know, as a parent, I think that's an amazing thing, you know, not just to look and say, hey, I'm into dance or theater or the arts. That's what you have to be into. She exposed me to everything. And, you know, I was swimming. I was a competitive swimmer. Wow. And, uh, you know, you can name it. I kind of did it. And then but I was always drawn to football. I, I think, actually, I was probably a better basketball player for a while growing up until I got to high school. Like, basketball was always kind of my main sport, even though I love football so much. Mm-hmm. Basketball was what I was kind of better at, maybe, I think. And then I got to high school, and all of a sudden, that kind of switched and uh, ended up uh, starting a quarterback as a sophomore in high school. So that kind of changed it. But my mom exposed me to everything and, and it let me experience all the different things to really find what I love. And, you know, if you look, my brother played a little bit of high school football, got hurt, could never play again. And my dad never even played. So I'm really the only football, like real football guy uh, huh. all in in the family. And they're all kind of fans. But, I mean, that's just became my life. And, mm-hmm. and I was really fortunate. So, yeah. But you mentioned soccer. I'm a big I'm a big Liverpool fan. They okay. won the UEFA uh, Champions League this year. You know, and I think that that was just growing up because when we'd go visit my family in uh, in England and Wales, my my uncle was actually uh, helped as a team doctor for the Wrexham Football Club, hmm. and so you'd go to games. But not that it was huge or I was crazy all the time growing up. But uh, but I enjoy soccer, and so like that was kind of a team that I knew growing up. So looking at all those influences you had growing up and obviously going more toward football, did you think you were going to play professionally or did you know from an early age that if you were going to stick with football, it was going to be through the coaching route? So after the after this city championship game my senior year, I was out in the field and I knew that was not going to be the end of my football career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I knew at that moment I was going to play college football, I probably had an influence on it. And that's how I ended up, you know, I was, there, I was being recruited by this D3 school in Pennsylvania. So I ended up going on to her sinus college and playing at her sinus. And, you know, your senior year, you end up playing football your senior year. And uh, the uh, a couple of the guys that I was graduating with were considering getting into coaching. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a, a different deal. You know, I mean, you don't really know what you're going to do at that point of your life. Sometimes you're like, holy cow, I'm a senior. Here's my major. What's the next step? Sure. And I knew I always wanted to be involved in sports and athletics. And, you know, but you sometimes don't know how it's going to play out mm-hmm. um, that way. You know, my, my dad just worked in kind of the business world and my mom taught classical about ballet. So there wasn't a whole lot. So we started making some calls. Some of the guys and a couple of guys got little small school coaching jobs. And so it was really interesting. I, I made a call. There was a guy from my hometown that was coaching and he had been the D coordinator at Johns Hopkins. I got to meet him when we, we played them my senior year. I meet him briefly, and then he had just gone back to coach at the University of New Hampshire, where he was he was at, and he was from my hometown and a couple years older. And one of the things about Manchester, you know, New Hampshire, everybody kind of takes care of their own a little bit. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you're you know all that, even though there's the four different uh, the big high schools that are competing. We were always friends with the athletes. You know, you competed against guys, but there was kind of a bonding of the athletes. And um, and this guy went to another high school you know, our rival high school central, but he was, uh, and he was older. So I never played against him. but you know, we knew him. And so like, Hey, you know, and he knew of me. And so like when you, you know, cause we, I played against him when I was, co- you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, he knew I went to the rival high school cause you know, all the guys throughout the years that go play. Right. And 
he, he co- I was playing against him. He was coaching again. So I called him and talked about getting into coaching. And he helped set up some jobs for me, interviews, and ended up helping me getting connected at Wagner College and helped getting me an interview there. And I ended up getting a GA job at Wagner College. Hmm. You know, and it, it's funny if you say, hey, this random guy from Manchester, New Hampshire, get me in. And back then you wouldn't have recognized Chip Kelly as the name of that he sure. is now in the coaching profession. But uh, but Chip helped me get in. You know, I mean, he was, a, uh, you know, kind of a small school coach at the time and helped me break into the coaching profession. When And the other guy in that orbit, too, is, I guess, at some point, Urban Myers. So I'm curious, how did you get connected with Urban and what made that relationship work so well? I was a grad assistant at Syracuse and had been there for a year. And the offensive coordinator was a guy named Kevin Rogers, who was a really big mentor to me in my career. And uh you know, Kevin was, was always great to me. And so I was his grad assistant at Syracuse and he always, he gets the job at Notre Dame as the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. And so Kevin gets there and he's like, Hey, I might need you. And six months later he calls and said, Hey, the grad assistant job at Notre Dame's open. I need you here. So he hired me out at Notre Dame. And what, there was a young assistant out there, uh, named Urban Meyer <laughs> and uh, Urban was the receiver coach. And I asked, I said, Hey, can I work with the quarterbacks and receivers as a grad assistant? Because I want, you know, I mean, I, I see that more than a lot of times the grad assistant was with the O line a lot. Mm-hmm. I've been with the O line a bunch, and I'm like, but I see myself, you know, I'm going to be more of a quarterback coach in the future. And he's like, great. So you're, you know, I spent a lot of time. So I worked as a grad assistant working with Urban. He and I became really close at, at Notre Dame when he was the receiver coach. And it's really interesting. So when we were at Notre Dame, everybody was – the offensive staff was going to visit all these power run teams. You know, they were going to go look at some option football mm-hmm. and other things. And Urban and I said – he said, hey, let's go. You and I are getting in a car, and we're going down to Louisville to see Scott Linehan, and they're running this crazy offense that shotgun spread, and they're throwing it – all over the place. He goes, I want to go learn this offense. Let's go. Me and you are heading down to Louisville for two days. Hmm. And so Urban and I leave Notre Dame, jump in a car, and we go down there for two days and spend two days with Scott Linehan and, and the staff. He was the offensive coordinator at the time at Louisville. And we study this offense and what they're doing. And I'm, boy, we thought, boy, this is kind of cutting edge stuff. Sure. And we go back to Notre Dame. We end up having a great year. And at the end of the year, Urban gets hired at Bowling Green mm-hmm. to be the head coach at Bowling Green. And he grabs me and he's like, hey, well, I'd like you to come with me. You know, let's come coach the quarterbacks at Bowling Green for me. And uh, you know what? I jumped on board. It was my first opportunity to be a full-time position coach. Hmm. And, you know, he and I went there and it was an interesting. That first, our first year, the coaching staff, there was myself coaching the quarterbacks, uh, Billy Gonzalez coaching the wide receivers, mm-hmm. John Hevesy coaching <laughs> the, uh, the tackles and tight ends. Uh, Greg Studrawa was our, our centers and guards coach, who's now the O-line coach at Ohio State. Greg Brandon, who became the head coach of Bowling Green after he left, was the running backs coordinator. But it was a really neat time, you know, when you get in there and you're at a school, not a big school. Mm-hmm. Urban's a first-time head coach. and I remember us going into this room and we went and visited these schools and Bob Davey was the head coach at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And Bob learned a lot from Bob was a great defensive coach. And it was really interesting when you're at Notre Dame and you're playing Michigan, you know, he felt great about going in the game. You see him, they weren't all stressed out. If we're playing Southern Cal, he felt great about the defensive plan going into the game. But I'll tell you what, I'd look at those defensive coaches when we were playing Navy or Air Force or you and we were playing Purdue with Drew Brees at the time and they were empty throwing it around. And I mean, you just see the consternation on their face and the pan like, oh, and I'm like, okay. 
<laughs> so we, we all get to Bowling Green and say, okay, how do we create an offense that spreads the field and uses some empty and creates this spread offense that has some option principles, like basically everything that drives the defensive coach is crazy. Mm-hmm. How do we go around? So we started visiting all these teams and we locked ourselves in a room. You know, all the players are like, what's the offense when we get hired? And we're like, yeah, you got to be patient right now. <laughs> we're still we figuring got, it out. <laughs> we locked ourselves in this room and we created, you know, our version of the spread offense that mm-hmm. a lot of people around the country run now. Wow. And uh, it was really fun to kind of be in this room and create it. And it wasn't like we had the answers. We created it. And then over the next, you know, over the two years of Bowling Green, it evolved mm-hmm. and it continued to evolve. And then, you know, uh, all of a sudden, Urban, we get we get hired at, at the University of Utah and we get there and we, we kind of tweak the offense around the personnel that we had there. And we, we started making some adjustments and uh, to be honest with you, at Bowling Green, we had a great running quarterback in Josh Harris. Mm-hmm. And so everything we created, like everything was zone read and, you know, really single option, either give it or keep it and run. And, you know, we got to Utah and we have this quarterback named Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Brett Elliott and Alex Smith were our top two quarterbacks and they could really throw it. And they were OK athletes, but we really didn't want them running. We figured, hey, if we run this offense, everyone's just going to make them run the ball every play. And they're not dynamic runners. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, okay, how do we take the next step in involving the offense? And created the, the spread option because we didn't have a great running quarterback and we wanted to create more options. Mm-hmm. In the middle of our first year in Florida, the uh, the offense involved another time because, you know, we didn't have the same personnel we had at Utah to run that style offense. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we added a fullback to the offense or and, you know, we had some fullbacks in Florida for just what they're doing. We, even though we kept a lot of the similar philosophies, it evolved again. And, you know, uh, two years later, we have this quarterback Tebow that shows up and fast running backs. Mm-hmm. You know, so instead of saying, OK, we're going to run the running back up the middle and the quarterback keep it around the edge on an option. We reversed the stone read options that people, you see a lot of people run now with the jet sweeps. Sure. It's a lot of fun through the years to be able to evolve and create an offense. And I think we were really fortunate uh, to have a bunch of young coaches at Bowling Green. And, uh, you know, you're at a school that, you know, I know our competitiveness to want to win and succeed is huge. But you're at a school where you could be creative and mm-hmm. maybe you're not under the public scrutiny all the time of what are you doing on offense sure. and what type of offense is this? And we were able to think outside the box of them and kind of create our own offense. And it was a lot of fun to be able to do that. And, you know, as a coach, I was always very fortunate is, you know, I was one of the first people Urban ever hired at Bowling Green and at Utah and at Florida. And so you're always there at different levels at the ground at the, at the beginning on how we built a program up. Mm-hmm. And boy, as a coach, you couldn't get better experience of seeing how we built programs and how we evolved and how you learned and how you had to do things differently at each program. It was such an unbelievable learning experience and a foundation for my future to become a head coach when I got my opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that one second, but I I do want to go back to Tebow for a moment because obviously so much of your time at Florida the first time around is tied to Tim Tebow. At what point did you know he was a generational type of talent and in what ways do you feel like you helped him develop the most? You know, one of the things that, that was amazing about Tim, you get around him, he's got a great personality. And you get to realize about Tim, he's the ultimate competitor. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the things. And it's, uh, you know, his drive and his will to win and his will to succeed. 
sometimes surpasses his talent. And even the first time, I remember watching him on film and thinking, okay, but this guy's a, a good player. I don't know that he's a special quarterback, but he's a solid player. But you get around him and his competitiveness and his drive to succeed is special. Mm-hmm. And one of the things when Tim got on campus and the energy and the work that he put in and how hard he would go and everything that he did, you knew that he was special. And the great thing to me is Tim was always very coachable in that, you know, I mean, he wanted to learn and wanted to get better. So all the things, you know, I mean, he would absorb, hey, how to be a thrower, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, how to throw the ball. Because, you know, I think I think a lot everybody looked at him and he was this. I'm going to will my team to win out there on the field player uh, that had a solid skill set, unbelievable athleticism, but he had to learn how to be an every down quarterback and mm-hmm. how to make reads and how to go through progressions, how to throw accurately. We, we tweaked his throwing motion when he got there to tighten it all up a little bit. And I was really fortunate, you know, I, I, to be around him and spend all that time. I always laugh. I the three years that I spent more time with him during the three years that he, we were together than I did with my wife. And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, we were always we were always so close. And I, I think a part of that always helps in the relationship. You know, I would always hope that he'd kind of know what I was going to call before I ever called it. And mm-hmm. that leads to confidence and always try to put him. I was always going to take care. And we'd have such great you know talks even during games that we're always going to put him in a position to be successful and do what he felt comfortable doing. And he felt comfortable doing those things. So I, I certainly helped him become, a, I would think, a, a really good quarterback. I don't know that I had a lot to do with his personal drive and his competitiveness and his winning spirit because he had all of that. But the techniques and, you know, the, the intricacies of being a quarterback, I know that we spent a lot of time together developing. Mm-hmm. So developing Tim Tebow led to two national championships in your four years, and that gets you the opportunity at Mississippi State. So when you leave for that, your first head coaching job, what were the biggest challenges of running your own program for the first time? And, and where did you draw from in terms of finding those answers? Well, you know, and it was really an interesting deal because I, all throughout my career, from the first year I was a coach, I had a notebook of ideas, mm-hmm. you know, of things that I liked. And maybe and there were sections of things that I didn't like that was going on in a program or, you know, hey, well, I don't I don't like how this turned out. And I just make a note of it. And so I kept that throughout the years. You know, the, the do's and don'ts when I get my opportunity to be a head coach. And I, I still consult it some to this day to go back and check it. And I kept it all the way from Wagner College through Columbia up to Syracuse and Notre Dame to Bowling Green, Utah and Florida. And all of a sudden, though, one day it's a really unique experience. You know, you you get hired. They, you know, they put you on the plane, <laughs> your wife, you get on the, you're, you sign the contract. They right. bring you out to the basketball game. Everyone's cheering you. You go to a booster reception, you're shaking hands, you're like your head spinning in a million different directions. Right. You know, you're so wired. You finally fall asleep about three o'clock in the morning and you get up a couple hours later and you walk in the office for the first time and you sit down at that desk and you're the head coach and you're like, <laughs> wow, what do I do now? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, it hits you that now it's everything's on me. Everybody's waiting for your direction and your lead. And, you know what? So I'd made notes throughout my career of things I liked and didn't like. Obviously, I think Urban did an unbelievable job of developing his assistants and putting you in a position to learn and experience different things and have to make decisions for when you would get that opportunity. But honestly, despite all of that, there's nothing that you can do to prepare you mm-hmm. for that responsibility 
to be the head coach, you know, where it is all on you, everything, you making all the decisions, you know, so that was a, a great responsibility. Now, I had a lot of great mentors. I took a lot of notes. Um, one of the biggest things I, I learned, I knew of being at Urban at three different programs right from the beginning of how to build it. Hey, these are some steps that you take early on in the program. Mm -hmm. I think we had a great outline for how to run a program Urban did. And I learned part of that is the outline works wherever you go, but sometimes the specifics change depending on the school that you're at and you got to be willing to change the specifics of it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I also knew was this is I'm not Urban Meyer. And even though I have this outline that works great, I only follow the outline because I have to build it around my personality, not his personality. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of young coaches, I tell that all the time, they try to imitate another coach or imitate their mentor or try to be like somebody else. You can't do that. You have to be yourself mm -hmm. and you have to, you know, take take the outline because the outline works on how to run a program, but how you implement it and the specifics of it. Do your own way because it's your program now and you're the one that has to do it. And so um, so I took all of that and I learned all of that and I went in and, and took over the program. Now, I will say the first year as a head coach and even the, the first two years is scary because you think you say, OK, this is my one chance. This is my one opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was a control freak. I, you know, I, I don't know that I slept those first two years. Mm. You know, because you're just kind of like you, you want to have your hands on everything sure, and be in control of every aspect of it and know every part and every detail. And, you know, I don't know that that's healthy or the most successful way to do things. Mm -hmm. But I was very, very involved. And, and those were, you know, we had a, you know, the first year we, we had a decent year. You know, I, I guess for the university standards at the time, people thought it was a, we're headed in the right direction. Uh, the next year we finished as a top 15 in the country, which was one of the top, I think, three seasons in the history of the school at the time. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I realized, you know, boy, I mean, I just kind of run myself into the ground. And I realized I don't think I don't know that that's the right way to do it. And I think you always grow and evolve. And I continued to grow and evolve as a coach and say, OK, what is the best way to run the program? And I've always learned from that, you know, never staying the same. You're always getting better. If you try to stay the same, you're not. Mm -hmm. People around you are changing and always do a great job of self-evaluation. And I, I looked back and there were some things I didn't do well. There were things I thought that I did well, some things I didn't do well. And I continued to, to evolve it. You know, all the, I, I looked at myself and I said, if I was taking notes on myself as a head coach, I would wrote, write my book. <laughs> Don't do it this way. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I was able to evolve and change as a coach throughout the years. You know, it's interesting because you're, as you talked about earlier, you're a, really a Northeastern guy, and yet you've spent the last 15 years or so in the South. How much of an adjustment was that, both from a, a football standpoint and cultural as well? One of the great things, I think, you know, in my coaching career and being from the Northeast, but having coached all around – you know, coaching in the Northeast, coaching in the Midwest, coaching out West at Utah, then coaching in the South that I, you live a lot of places. And one of the things, you know, I guess that I was very fortunate growing up is, you know, my family, we visit England and I have family of England is to be very open and embracing cultures and every understand that everywhere you go is just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that is, you, you know, it's kind of like you wouldn't think that here's this guy from. I grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire, coaching in Starkville, Mississippi at Mississippi State. Is, <laughs> right. You know, that that's not the first thought of the perfect fit. Sure. But one of the things was 
that I made sure when I got hired was I was going to take time to understand the culture. I wasn't going to force my culture on the program. Mm -hmm. I was going to understand the program and incorporate my program into the culture of Mississippi. You know, and I think that helped. It was it was really interesting. I hired several assistants that I'd never met or never heard of or never knew, but they had ties in the state of Mississippi. And I interviewed them and that was important to the culture. I needed to immerse myself in the culture as much as implement what I want and what I see as the program as my culture into football at Mississippi State. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great experience. You know, I, the one thing I, I, I love, the people of Mississippi and, and in Starkville, the people were amazing. I mean, it was, you know, the fan base at Mississippi State, uh, the people in Starkville, the culture, the family values there. Both of my kids were born there. Uh, my son, Cannon, actually was born three days after we moved into our house. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> six weeks after I took the job. Jeez. And uh, both my kids were born in Starkville. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't know. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better place to raise a family than Starkville, Mississippi. I mean, it's such great uh, commu- sense of community and family culture. And all of our coaches that were with me that had younger families lived there. You know, they'll all tell you, like, well, I would not trade it anything in the world to have my kids raised in that community. It was such a great community um, that you wouldn't even think or know about. And, mm-hmm. But we embraced it and we kind of learned about the community and the culture and bought into the family. You know, there's such the family values and you know, it kind of takes you over a little bit and affects you. And, and uh, we were really fortunate to have that as part of our life and to be around all of those those people. And, you know, what we did was was took all of those values and the family values and the culture in Mississippi. And we kind of melded, you know, melded it together with our vision and our cultures and our, our how we want to run a football program and created a, a very successful football program at Mississippi State. Well, and it sounds like you were pretty happy there. Your family was in good shape. So what was it like when that call comes from Scott Strickland to discuss becoming the head coach of the Gators? Well, I think, you know what, it is really, you know, at nine years at Mississippi State, I got a lot of different calls and there were a lot of different opportunities to go to other schools. And, you know, some of them I, I knew weren't right. Some of them I'd go to Megan and she'd be like, Ugh. you know, we, we, we considered one or a couple here and there. And then we just like, I just don't know if that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it always would come down of if we're even having a discussion whether this is right, why, why are we leaving? We're in a great place. We're very happy here. You know, we like the people. We like the town, uh, you know, uh, that, that we live. I loved my players and the program that we were able to build. Uh, but you start thinking, OK, you know, uh, how, how far can we take this? You know, and, and what are your career goals? What do you want to do? And it, it is really interesting. So it, it came to a point where we looked and said, OK, we're going to be, you know, after you get several calls, you sit and say, OK, We'll make it easy. If, if there's a couple of schools and there's a couple of reasons why, you know, basically the reason why we would go is an opportunity to be at one of the premier programs in America mm-hmm. that if they call, we would we would consider. And, and that'll make life easier for us instead of having discussions about these schools. Um, you know, it's really unique. We, we played the game and, and we played on Thanksgiving night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my agent had told me, hey, there's people that want to talk to you. And I said, great, I appreciate that. And I said, but I don't want to talk to anybody until the season ends. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, that's just how I am. I, I just, I don't want to, I'm not that guy. I'm 100% committed to the team I'm coaching. But after the regular season ends, let me know who wants to talk to me and we'll consider it. 
And so we ended up playing on Thanksgiving night. After the game, he called. He said, hey, we have a lineup of these phone calls happening tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, and I said, hey, you know, Scott had been the athletic director for me at Mississippi State. And I said, Scott, I appreciate that. And I said, but you, you know me. And I said, if you'd like to talk to me, reach back out to me after the final game of the regular season. Mm -hmm. And he respected that. And I got that call on Friday. And, you know, we talked. And so I talked to several different people. And it was really funny. And, you know, we're getting calls. And on Saturday afternoon, we're sitting there. I have my, my family was in town for Thanksgiving weekend. And, you know, it, it was one of those that, that Scott, my, uh, looked at my phone. And my, my wife's like, oh, it's Scott Strickland. You might want to take this one. <laughs> And it, I came back, I walked in the house, I came out 10 minutes later, it was, you know, a quick conversation, because I talked to him the day before, and he knew me, and she looked me at me in the face, and she said, I guess we're moving to Gainesville, <laughs> and she said, I could see in your face, you know, he offered me the job, and I said, hey, I'll let Megan know, I said, I'll give you a call back, and when I walked out, she said, I could just see in your face that that was a different call than all the other ones you'd received, and it was a different reaction. And so to me, you know, she knew at that moment, uh, not that I didn't ask her or she wouldn't be involved in the decision. But she could just she saw in your face and she goes, well, I know that's the one for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because sometimes you come out and you're like, OK, here's what's going on. And she goes, I just looked at your face and I knew you were sold. You were all in wanting to go to Florida. And she's like, you know, the great thing, we've been there. We know it. I love Gainesville. She loved living in Gainesville. Before, we had a great time while we were here. We got married while we were here hmm. as an assistant coach, and we loved our time. And the University of Florida is such a special place. You're looking at the, the only school in America that was last year was ranked in the top 10 public universities and top 10 in football, hmm. where it, it, you just, you know, when you sit down with their crew, there's no spin, there's no this. It, it is the, about being the best of the best. And the opportunity to be a part of it. I grew up, I loved Florida growing up. I was just, I was always a fan of the kind of the Gators being from far away and a, and a football fan. They were one of the teams that you loved growing up that I was always rooted for. Uh, there were several, but, you know, I wasn't like a diet, like that was my team. But there were several teams that I just liked. I didn't, if you're in New Hampshire, you don't really have a power football team you, you root for all the time. Sure. But they were one of, you know, my dad went to Penn State, so I cheer on Penn State. Mm -hmm. I went to Catholic school my whole life, so of course you cheer on Notre Dame. <laughs> my dad's, you know, my dad went to Catholic school his whole life, so, you know, I mean, Notre Dame's on the checklist of teams right. to cheer for, but I always loved the Gators. And um, it, it was a really funny story. So we call Scott back and we say, hey, we're, we want to take the job. And, you know, went to sleep that night. We're all, we're kind of celebrating, like, wow. We kind of kept it quiet because, you know, I said, before we announce anything, the first, I want to make sure I get to talk to the team at Mississippi State. I don't want them reading it on the internet or seeing it on the ticker or any of that. I want to have a team meeting in the first, and they want to, I said, the second I walk into that team meeting, Scott, you can do whatever press conference you want, mm -hmm. but I want to walk into that team meeting first and let them know for me. And he respected that. And that was going to be on Sunday afternoon. And, uh, you know, we celebrated that night. I went to sleep and I'm like, okay. And I knew it was right the next morning. Cause I woke up, I'm saying, boy, I said, well, you know, we just agreed to the job. We didn't sign anything. I guess really hope they still want me to be the head coach of Florida. Cause <laughs> I really want to be the head coach of Florida. I'm really excited about this. And you know, I'm like, I hope they didn't change their mind overnight. Right. And uh, we went in, I had the team meeting, kind of got everything organized, packed up. And, and on Monday morning they were, plane came to pick us up and you know I, I moved to Gainesville. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and then I guess there's a lot that takes place between that day and when we're talking now. But one of the things that happened is you had a very successful season during which you tried to, I'm, I'm sure, get the program going in the direction you wanted in a lot of different areas. So as you reflect on that now and where you are today, I'm curious what were the biggest areas of improvement you saw that led to such a turnaround? Was it, is it discipline? Is it, is it on the field? Is it off the field? Is it a combination of everything? When I took over, I think it's a combination of everything uh, because our coaches, uh, all the assistant coaches that came with me, they knew what was expected within the program. And our strength staff, Coach Savage, he knew what was expected. But if you go to the medical staff and the trainers and the nutrition staff and the administration and especially the players, everything's going to be a foreign deal for them mm-hmm. uh, and new. Uh, so it was going to take time for them to buy in to figure out how it all works. And, um, you know, I guess the academics are Jason Storch and Tony Meacham. They were the the advisors when I was at Florida before. So I think they were pretty excited. They told me they were happy the hammer was going to get dropped on discipline and the academic <laughs> side of things. They knew they knew my background and how I operate. Sure. So they were like they were pretty excited. But they're like, hey, we know academically things are going to get turned around here. And the discipline within the program is going to be a little different than it was. And so it was, you know, it was that. But the greatest thing I had is I, there was minimal resistance from the players, really, if, if any. They were excited to buy in what we were going to do. But obviously, you know, I mean, the, the thing is, that's not an overnight deal. That takes a long time. When we started doing workouts, they'd never done workouts like we were doing before or worked out with the intensity that we went. Mm-hmm. Um the discipline structure and the expectations of the players. They hadn't experienced that before and the accountability that was going to be within the program. They hadn't experienced that before. So that was going to take a while to evolve. You know, we go out for the spring practice. They've never even been at one of our practices. So, uh, you know, and it's not like just there's some new players. It, It is everybody in the program. Everything's brand new game day. So there was so much learning throughout the year and, you know, even during the season, so much learning, you know, one, I had to learn in season what type of team we had, you know, and, and, and we learned, we learned from wins and we learned from losses during the season and everybody continued to grow. And the greatest thing for me was I, I always saw constant buy-in throughout the year and us learning about each other and the program and what the expectations were and how to get better as, as players and as a team and as a program. And I think the thing you're happy with is, you know, I thought we were at our best at the end of the season, which mm-hmm. shows me that there was that buy-in and everybody continually trying to improve. And every time we made a mistake, we'd learn from it and we'd learn and continue to grow. And we were headed in the right direction as the program. Everybody from top to bottom, there was a great understanding in what direction we were headed. You know, so much of college football today is about recruiting, especially on the coaching side. Um, I'm curious how you've seen recruiting change over your time in the business and if there are any memorable stories of uh, some creativity it took you to, to land a, a critical commitment. Boy, I don't I, yeah, you got some of them you have, I have to save for the book. One day. <laughs> but recruiting through the years has changed so much, um, you know, with, with technology now. I mean, you're looking, I mean, even when I was at Florida before, recruiting was very regional. Uh, you know, there wasn't all of this throwing hats around and press conferences and sure. all of the internet websites and the rankings and the all-star <laughs> games and all the all, all of it. You know, it, it was starting back then, but now it's changed that that's become the norm, and and recruiting's become more national now. You can 
you know, back when I was recruiting, if you wanted to get the film on the guy, you went out on the road recruiting. And if I, wherever you were going to go recruiting, you'd send boxes of videotapes and you'd get there and you'd hand a VHS tape to the coach and with a return envelope. And can you copy the tape and we'll watch it and watch the kid and then send it back for us to get it. Now I can watch every high school player in the country by hitting a button mm-hmm. and uh, watching it and seeing it on the computer within, within a second. And so it's, it's really evolved into this. You, you can evaluate everybody in the country and it's made recruiting so much more national and recruiting's become a big business. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at 247 sports and rivals.com and the ESPN 300 and recruiting's become this major industry in, in college football recruiting and a major business. And, you know, because of that, the reporters and the stories and everything that has to happen and the attention to it, it it's changed every aspect of recruiting through the years. And it's just a very different game. And now the NCA has come along and changed all the recruiting rules, which, uh, you know, I mean, it used to be, I, it was funny, I was talking to Coach Spurrier, mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, you know, boy, it used to be the season, and then you'd go recruit, and then you'd have a little bit of an off time, and you'd go spring ball, and then you'd do some camps and have an off time, you know, some high school camps and have an off time, and I said, every time you say off time, that no longer exists, it's 24-7, 365 in college football recruiting now, mm-hmm. uh, there's not an off day, you don't have a vacation day, and he's like, boy, uh, you know, I don't know how you guys do it. You know, I mean, it's, it, you know, and, and how the effect it has on your families, how crazy it's become. And uh, but that's just how it's evolved throughout the years. Well, and in terms of that, too, and it goes back to what you were talking about earlier with just the all consuming nature of this job. I'm always curious with people in, in your position. How do you manage it? I mean, what, what keeps you sane when you're especially if you're in season and you've got you're trying to go over tons of tape and get a team ready. And then you've got recruiting visits and you still have a family and two kids. I mean, what makes all of that work? Cause that just fascinates me. One of the most important things is you have to understand being a head coach is not a job for me. It's a family decision and it, it's not, a, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. It is a way of life mm-hmm. and it's a way of life, not just for me. It's a way of life for my wife and kids. And it's a, uh, it, it's a family business that you're in. You know I mean? Everybody in the family is all in and, you know, my wife is so involved in our players' lives, and she's so involved in recruiting. And, you know, my, my kids know. I mean, they get a lot of, of great kind of fun perks. And, and you know, that they're on the fields before and after the game, and they get to be around these great players. You know, I mean, to my son, it, it's, you know, going out and playing catch with Tim Tebow or Dak Prescott is – you know, that's a normal thing in the backyard. You know, I mean, right. it's having a birthday party and Dak Prescott's the, all t- the all-time quarterback for him and his friends at his birthday party. <laughs> that's that's cool. kind of a normal deal. Right. And, you know, like that's not out of the ordinary. So there's some perks for them with that. But with it comes the time constraints and the stress on what it is on the family. And I think, you know, everybody knows that you have to be all in. And, and I spend a lot of time for our coaches to try to make it a very family-oriented program, you know, and try to maximize uh, the family time. It's You know, I, I want coaches to have their kids around the building and families can come by and stop out of practice. And it's not, hey, this is our workplace, family's family, and keep it separate. It's all in one for us, you know. I mean, all of us are all in and this is our lives and our families are a big part of this life. And mm-hmm. So you really spend a lot of time trying to incorporate it. And, and I try to, uh, to make it as, as great a, a place for our families as it can be and to maximize it and to respect family times. And as crazy as it seems, one thing I've changed is we, this past year, 
for the first time, I'm out of school as a head coach when I have kids. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I've only been at two. But the school vacations don't all match up. Mm-hmm. And when I was an assistant coach, I never had kids, so it didn't matter. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, of, of how different a deal is that when there's our spring break, so we don't have any players around, all the coaches are like, well, I mean, coach, it's great if you give us some time off here, but all our kids got to go to school every day. Right. You know, and then we're practicing when our kids are off. So we kind of split the schedule in the middle of spring ball. We gave everybody five days off, you know, so that you could go take a family trip. And, and so I, I try as best I can when there's opportunities to get away to make sure that we maximize uh, all of our coaches opportunities to have great family time. And to maximize, you know, their abilities for their families to be very involved in our football program. I don't know that head football coaches can have hobbies, but let's say that some semblance of that, whatever it is that, that you guys get, that's sort of a hobby. When you get away, what is it that, that keeps you going and, and you enjoy doing? Boy, I mean, I, I love my family. Tom, I'm a caddy. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, my son golfs and I'm his caddy. Uh, we have a, a lake house at Lake Ocon- at Reynolds at Lake Oconee in Georgia and uh, which is a great community. There's a lot of coaches there, but mm-hmm. we get to spend time. If, if you see me in some time off, I'll be at the, the lake house and I uh, love playing golf up there. There's some great golf up there. Play golf with the family. Everybody in my family loves to do that. I'm, I love wake surfing out behind my boat. Mm. I'm out on the boat. I'm wake surfing during the day. Um, one of the ultimate great things to being in Florida is if we have a long weekend with the coaches, I can put the kids in the car you know, and you can be down in Longbow Key in a couple hours, or right. you can you can be at Clearwater Beach, or you could go over to the Atlantic side, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, be in St. Augustine and get to the beaches. I love family time and love being out on the water. And you know, we get that time off. I don't. Uh, one of my my greatest hobbies is being a husband and being a father, mm-hmm. and that's probably my favorite hobby when I have time off is to be around the family and to get to do fun family activities and. Uh, and to do those things. When we knew you were going to be coming on the show, we asked fans what questions they have on Twitter. And of course, a lot of them were about the quarterback position. Um, So I guess just generally, can you tell us where are your quarterbacks now and where do you need to see them get as you move forward? Playing quarterback at the University of Florida is a high pressure position. There's three statues right out in front of the swamp that make it that way. Sure. Uh, and, um, you know, and there's big shoes to fill, and the expectations being a quarterback in Florida are huge. But I think one of the things he, he bought into was stop listening to all the outside noise. And I said to him, the, the only opinions that matter when it comes to your quarterback play are you, me, and Brian Johnson. That's about it. No, I don't care what anybody else's opinion. And if, if their opinion really was qualified, they would be coaching quarterbacks at the <laughs> University of Florida. Um, and I think once he finally realized and bought into it, you saw him succeed and get more confident as the year went on. And even this spring, I think he took huge steps forward uh, of being confident in the offense and his decision-making. You know, and when the, the better decision-maker you are, the more accurate you can be because it, you process it faster and you're worried about technique more than trying to be behind. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Trask, the same way, I thought, had a great spring and continues to grow and develop and being confident in the offense. And Emery, one of the great things that he's done is, you know, we were able to, you know, to take advantage of, of the situations last year. If you you look, he played in four games, but still redshirted last year. Right. You know, what unbelievable experience that was. He got to play in the Georgia game and the Michigan game, two of the biggest games of the year. 
Now he's played on a big stage. He got to play in some games where we won big, where he got extended play time and basically played the entire second half. So he's gotten experience and numbers of plays in a game. And one of the things that, that I think that he did such an unbelievable job with was turn off the recruiting mode of, hey, I'm this star quarterback, and why aren't you playing more or worried about all of those things? and completely worry about his growth and development as a quarterback Mm -hmm. and buying into that, which is such a huge deal of not worrying about it and trusting the process and his development in the future. He can look at you and say, Hey, I redshirted. I'm going to be a a freshman again this year, but I've played in big stages. I've played lots of plays in games. I have experience. I understand the offense now and I'm ready for my opportunity when my numbers call. And I think that's what's really exciting. So you look and we have some really good depth at the quarterback position. We have guys that have bought into what we're trying to do. And, you know, and I'm really excited about the future of that position, not just this season, but for years to come. Couple of final things for you. When you look at where the team is now and where you want to be going into the fall, what are some of the areas you're thinking about the most where you know you have to maybe get some development to to be where you want to be? Well, I think one of the always the biggest times of year for a team is this month of July, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and even June and July. It's when they're there in the summer because it's limited what the coaches can do with them. Right. But it's such a critical thing. I mean, you're. Very few sports do leading into the season. You know, basically, we can't coach our guys on the field till you know, right before you start, you know, a couple weeks before you kick off the season. And imagine, you know, that that doesn't happen in every sport. And so it's it's the training they do there on it, not just the weight room. It is the extra things that the players do on their own. You know, I mean, the throwing and the routes and the, and the quarterbacks and receivers working together and bat ball handling, the individual work that the guys, the extra time they put in on their own during this time of year really defines a lot of the success you're going to have as a season uh, into the season. Because when we get back to start training camp, when you look at this team, you say, OK, boy, these guys have put in a lot of extra time. Look at how they've grown in their technique. Not just what Coach Savage is able to do to get a bigger, faster, and stronger, but their technique, their improvement, their fundamentals have taken steps forward. Uh, you can tell. And so that's such a critical time. But it's a team that has to do that on their own mm-hmm. is how that's the most important. So we'll see, you know, over these next couple of weeks it is. that You know, the next biggest thing is health. You know, mm-hmm. I, if, if, you, if you have the opportunity to stay healthy, you're going to be successful, you know, and we can't sign a free agent midweek, you know, during the season, you know, you, you look at, you look at games and, you know, you get into games where, you know, last year where you lose your starting corner on the first play of the second game of the season for the year. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's a tough one. And then you go into like a, a, a Georgia game where you're already down your one starting corner and the third play of the game, your other starting corner goes down. Right. The other guys coming in, it's, it's great opportunity for them, but you obviously, I'd love to control during the course of the season how everybody grows and develops as we stay healthy as a team. Um, I think I think your health as the year goes on is so critical to your success as a football team. Final question for you. You have sort of a unique start to the year because not only is it against a high-profile opponent like Miami and one of your former assistants in Manny Diaz, but also it's the earliest in the calendar uh, I think an opener has ever been for the Gators. So can you just talk about the challenges of what's in front of you on day one while managing those expectations for a, a season that builds on what you did last year? 
Well, I think it's a great honor for our football program to be the opening game in the 150th anniversary of college football. You know, it, you get that opening weekend on, on a, everybody at that time of year is dying for football to start. You know, <laughs> all countries, they're ready for some football. Right. And it's the 150th year of college football. And here we go on a Saturday night. There's only one game out there played at Camping World Stadium. And it's the Gators against Miami and, uh, you know, in a rivalry game. So I think that's a great honor for us to be involved in that game. And I'm really excited about it. And as you said, it's going to be a great challenge because it's not just the rivalry of Florida and Miami, which is a great rivalry and not played all the time, mm-hmm. but it's a rivalry game in state. Uh, obviously, you know, two top programs. So it always has a lot of national implications uh, on a season. And to get to play in the fun competition of playing a guy that was an assistant coach for you. You know, I know Manny was my defensive coordinator for a couple of years. And I have a lot of respect for Manny. I know he's a great football coach and a great friend. And so that competition of it's going to make it such a fun game and such an exciting night for us. And it playing early, it's a challenge. But, you know, to be honest with you, all we, all, we just kind of rolled our calendar back a week and we just start a week earlier. And what we'll do is, is a little bit more time off after the game mm-hmm. uh, instead of having time off because we have to start a week earlier. Well, Coach Mullen, uh, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it, and thank you for, for taking us on, on such a journey throughout your uh, your road to where you are now. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great to talk to you. I hope everybody has a great summer, and go Gators. This is our final episode of our fourth season, but if you missed any of our recent shows throughout the spring and early summer, we encourage you to go back and listen to our in-depth chats with guests like Scott Strickland, Mick Hubert, Lee Humphrey, Kelly Barnhill, Grant Holloway, Amanda Lorenz, Torian Gray, Alicia Boren, and many more. We hope you enjoy the rest of your summer and look forward to kicking off our new season in late August as we'll prepare you for Florida and Miami to open the 150th season of college football. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for joining us all season long on Gator Tales.